As Pastor Barrett said, uh, today we're very pleased to have uh, John Evans with us, who is going to give our sermon today. After five years pastoring a PCA church in North Carolina, John and Elizabeth went to Zambia in January 1997. For the next nine years, they both taught at the Theological College of Central Africa, where John also served as academic dean. This past year, they were visiting lectures at Namibia Evangelical Theological Seminary. John completed his doctorate in theology in 2006. In mid-2009, John and Elizabeth planned to return to Africa to teach at the Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology in Kenya. This will be a very important and challenging assignment that we look forward to hearing more about. Obviously, the Evanses have a great heart for spreading the gospel in Africa by teaching the continent's future pastors. Grace Covenant has supported their ministry since they first went to Africa. And we're very blessed to have John give our sermon here this morning. Good morning. I count it a real privilege to be with you today and to be able to bring God's word to you. Um, I'd also like to say a hearty thank you um, on behalf of my family. Perhaps I should embarrass them terribly this morning and ask um, Elizabeth and Daniel to stand. I can't even find them. There they are. Uh, Elizabeth and Daniel, our youngest, are our oldest two, Martin and Beth, are back in Indiana. Um, they wanted to come but couldn't. Uh, thank you very much for stepping up. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, for us as a family, we can't do this work without your prayers, without your financial support, and we do feel like we're part of, of, of your family. Thank you very much. I would ask you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to John's Gospel, chapter 20. One of the greatest moments in all of human history, I think, where disheartened, broken, sorrowing disciples, filled with fear because of the Jews and the threat that they were going to suffer like their crucified master, suddenly they see the Lord Jesus Christ, whom they had been mourning, standing among them, their first time to see him. Uh, there is a great message in this little text, John 20, verses 19 through 22. Pay careful attention. This is God's holy word. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And 
with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, the Bible says that you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And our desire this morning is that we would worship you, we would honor you by paying careful attention to your word. Grant that we may receive it with faith and repentance. Grant that we may glorify your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Send your Holy Spirit to us this morning that we may receive your word as we should. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's one of those stories that missionaries love to tell. You perhaps have heard it before, some of you, especially those on the missions committee. A 30-year-old preacher, part-time preacher, very poor, large family. Uh, he, was, he was a cobbler. He was a shoe repair man. But one thing distinguished this young man. He had a passion to see the gospel go out into all the world at a time when many people were not interested in getting the gospel out around the world. His name, some of you can guess it, William Carey, young Englishman. He had opportunity to pour out his heart for the mission's message to a group of fellow Baptist ministers and to a number of church people. His great message was, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. But near the close of his message, William Carey, and perhaps the rest of the audience, was stunned because an older, experienced minister stood up, interrupted the message, and said, Sit down, young man. You are an enthusiast. When God purposes to convert the heathen, he will do so without your aid or mine. And then he sat down. I would not have wanted to be William Carey on that day. The older, experienced preacher, I believe, was saying, if you distill it down, he was saying this. Missions, global outreach with the gospel... It may be on your heart, but I don't believe it's on God's heart, at least not right now. Is it on God's heart? My, what an important question. Is this whole missionary business on God's heart? What really is God's will? What is God's agenda for his people in this world? Since he had such great respect for that older minister, I believe that William Carey probably went to the Scriptures, re-studying them to see whether he had gotten it right or not. We should do the same. What do the Scriptures say? It's not enough to know that there is need around the world. It's not enough to realize how important missions is for those who are lost. And according to Jesus' teaching, facing an eternity separated from him, eternity in hell. We need to know how important missions is to God. Is missions on God's heart? I believe that the teaching of Scripture 
is that missions is God's heart. To reach the unreached, to reach those the Lamb, Jesus Christ has purchased from every tongue, tribe, and nation, but who have yet to hear the good news that there is forgiveness, there is deliverance, there is hope, eternal hope, that there is a crucified Savior who is also the risen Lord. He's the only sacrifice for sinners. He's the only way to God. He's the only way to find hope in this broken world. It's the only way to find peace in a war-torn world, a cruel world. As we study the scriptures, we see that God's concern for the world goes back to the very beginning. If you study Genesis 1, what do you learn? From the very beginning, God wanted a world full of worshipers. Those who would know Him. Those who would trust Him and love Him. Responding to all the good things which He had poured out upon them. Worshiping Him. But sadly, the story uh, goes awry, doesn't it? With Genesis chapter 3. Where God's creatures created for Him to worship Him. Rebel against Him. They begin to live for themselves. They begin to worship and serve created things, making this stuff the most important in life. What was God going to do? Well, the story takes a turn for the better, especially with Genesis chapter 12. Some of you know that text. It's a good idea to turn there. I can think of few texts which are as important for us as Christians to study and to understand. There we have a man called out of Ur of the Chaldees, the Chaldeans, what is um, modern-day Iraq, Abram. And God gives him promises to encourage him to leave everything which was familiar and precious and secure for him, leave it all and go to a land I will show you. What a call. God gives promises. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's God's desire. He's going to bless Abram, isn't he? He's going to bless Abram and his family and make them into a great nation. But God's ultimate purpose is that all the nations of this world would experience His blessing. I think that there there are few texts in all of Scripture which are as inspiring as Psalm 67. A great missionary psalm. Psalm 67. What do we read there? It's an echo, I believe, of the ironic benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. it, It echoes that great ironic benediction. The psalmist says, May God be gracious to us. He's speaking to Israel. May God be gracious to us and bless us. How 
hopeless, how helpless we would be if we got what we deserved from a holy God. And so we ask for mercy. We ask for grace, which we don't deserve. God gives us the exact opposite of what we deserve. We plead for mercy, and God gives it to us. We pray, God, bless my work, bless my family, bless my health, bless our church. And the psalmist adds, and make his face shine upon us. If God mercifully forgave us, but then stayed at a distance, never welcoming us, never embracing us, never giving us the news that He delights in all of those who trust in Him and love Him. He delights in them and welcomes them as His own children. If we didn't have that message, that God smiles upon us, then life would not be happy. Sad, a sad uh, life would be. We rightly ask for God's grace. We rightly ask for God's blessing. But as you look at Psalm 67, you see that there is a big theology of blessing, you, you might say. Yes, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. Why? Why? Verse 2. That your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all all nations. The idea is that we ask for God's blessing not so that we can uh, enjoy all those blessings on our own, but so that blessing might go out to others, that others might see how we are blessed by God and delight in knowing Him. And they come to know Him too. They are added to the number of those who worship and praise God. It's a beautiful thing. Lord, bless us that all the nations might know the blessing of, of your salvation. But then there's a third part where the nations join in with us blessing God. Lord, bless me that I may be a blessing telling of your salvation to others so that all of us together may bless your name. Return that blessing in praise. What a beautiful, beautiful psalm it is. How much it has to teach us. We could go elsewhere in the Old Testament. We could turn over to Isaiah 43. And there's something of a surprise. If I give out this verse, you shall be my witnesses. You immediately think of Jesus Christ, don't you? Speaking in, in the Gospels. You shall be my witnesses. But before Jesus ever spoke those words, they're found in Isaiah 43, spoken to God's old covenant people. You will be my witnesses among the nations. And through God's people, through those preachers of righteousness and redemption in the Old Testament, the nations are addressed in another Isaiah text. Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Isaiah 45, 22. God's concern. God's heart. Do you hear it? We could turn to the book of Jonah. I'm sure you've heard messages on the book of Jonah. Our missionary God, we see there. 
And so when we come finally to the New Testament, we expect to find the same missionary God. I believe that this is the way we should go. Instead of saying, well, there's a missionary God in the New Testament, I wonder if we can find him in the Old. We can start with the Old and we can move to the New and say, yes, we find the same missionary God. We find the same missionary heart of God in the New Testament. How does the New Testament begin? Why, it begins with the Lord Jesus being sent on the greatest missionary journey of all. The Lord Jesus Christ, a missionary. I was first introduced to this idea about 25 years ago when I heard my father, a great missionary pastor. Um, His churches typically, believe this or not, his churches typically had a larger missionary budget than general budget. He said these words from the pulpit, quoting David Livingston. God had but one son, and he made him a foreign missionary. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, well, I'd really like to see Evans prove that from the scriptures. (laughs) Where do you find that idea in the Bible? Well, I'll take your challenge seriously. First of all, we have to say that we don't find the term missionary in the New Testament. It isn't there. You can look, but it isn't there. Instead, a different term is used. Do you have any idea what it might be? A Bible word which means missionary? It's the word apostle. The word apostle. When Paul said, I am the apostle to the Gentiles, he was essentially saying, I am the missionary to the Gentiles. Apostle means one who is sent out. And apostle, that term is used in different ways in the New New Testament. It can be used to refer to the office of 12 apostles. It can refer as well to a more general role or calling of going out and doing evangelism. Barnabas, who wasn't one of the 12, he's called an apostle. Well, now I've set the stage... Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling... Fix your thoughts on Jesus. What does the text say? Fix your thoughts on Jesus. What does it say? We're we're too Presbyterian here. We can't answer. (laughs) In Africa, they answer back very quickly. (laughs) What does it say? It says, the apostle and high priest whom we confess... Jesus Christ, the missionary. Jesus Christ was one sent out as a missionary. He was the greatest missionary of all, on the greatest missionary journey of all. And as I read the Scriptures, I'm convinced that He was the greatest missionary trainer of all, considering how far and wide the twelve apostles went. And the thirteenth, Paul. 
Um, Thomas, the Apostle Thomas, is said to have gone as far as India. What, what a missionary enterprise Jesus set out on, and what a missionary enterprise he calls us to take up, calling us to give like we haven't given before, to pray like we have never prayed before, to go when we've perhaps never considered going. How important is missions to God? Consider several points. First of all, the Father sent the Son. That's important. Sometimes we focus too much on the Son. And we fail to consider that Jesus came on this journey because it was the Father's will. It was the Father who sent. It was the Father's plan. He sent this missionary. And the Son came willingly as a missionary. The Son Himself sends out missionaries according to our text in John chapter 20. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit as well sends out missionaries according to Acts chapter 13, which we don't have time to read this morning. But if we were to read Acts 13, verses 2 through 4, we would see that it is the Holy Spirit who thrusts out missionaries. It's violent language, powerful language in the original. Well, now perhaps you see why I say that missions is on God's heart. Missions is God's heart. God, God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, vitally concerned and involved in missions. And if we are going to be God-centered people, we're going to share God's agenda, God's concern. We're going to have the heart of God for this missionary work. It ought to affect us at the very core of our being, I believe that our Heavenly Father has a missionary heart. It should make us desire one. But there's, but there's something more in our text. Jesus' words, as the Father is sending me, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, these words should impact us deeply because of something else that I see in our text. It was, it was an amazing occasion which I referred to earlier, where the apostles are all locked in this room. They're absolutely terrified. And here is a terror added on top of their terror when suddenly someone else is in the room. And for a quarter of a second, before they recognize Jesus, it must have been awful for them. But Jesus speaks to them. He speaks peace to them. He says something more. He shows them his hands and his side. He speaks, I would say, through his, his wounds, through his scars. Helping the disciples, the, the apostles, to recognize who he was. But I think that there's something else here. 
Those scars, those wounds spoke powerfully. They, they made Jesus' call to the disciples far more intense, far more powerful. It is the one with the scars. It is the one who presents his hands and his side to the disciples who says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Scars can can, can speak powerfully. Here's here's a story from Africa, from Kenya, um, told by John Piper. Um, It's about... uh, tribe in Kenya, which is very famous. They like to wear red, and they are cattle herders. One of the things that they are best known for is as having a, a, a warrior mindset, opposing anyone who tries to subjugate them, opposing anyone who is trying to influence them and get them to change their ways. The Maasai have been some of the most resistant to foreign missionary efforts, Um, And uh, this is a story about one of those Maasai named Joseph. He was walking along one of those hot, dusty roads that you can imagine in your mind. And he met someone who shared the gospel with him. And he immediately received that message right then and there. He accepted Christ and he was filled with, with a great joy. The Holy Spirit began transforming his life. And he had such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was to go and to give the gospel, this news, this good news, to his fellow tribesmen. He wanted to go back to his village, and this he did. He went door to door in his village, telling everyone he met about this man who had suffered, this man who was also God, who suffered for sinners, offering salvation. He expected to see their faces light up just the way his had. But to his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they were hostile, they were violent. The men of that village dragged him outside of the village and the young women uh, of, of the village were beating and whipping Joseph with strands of barbed wire. They did such a good job that they believed that they had killed him. They left him to die out there in the bush. Somehow, moving in and out of consciousness, Joseph finally gained the strength to crawl to a nearby water hole. And he recovered slowly. After a few days, he he wondered, why had the message not been received warmly? Why was there the hostility? He began to rehearse the message. Maybe I got the story wrong a bit. Maybe I didn't tell it as well as I can. He decided to go back and to share his faith once more. He limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim the good news once again. You can find forgiveness. You can find peace. You can find deliverance from the spirits. In this one called Jesus, he pleaded with them. Again, he was grabbed by the men of the village, dragged outside, whipped, reopening the wounds that had just begun to close up. They dragged him 
further out into the bush, unconscious, and left him to die. To have survived that very first beating was amazing. To have survived the second was nearly miraculous. Somehow, Joseph recovered from that second beating. Days later, he determined to go back to the village a third time. They attacked him even before he had had a chance to open his mouth. They dragged him away, began beating him again. This would be for the last time. But Joseph still spoke to them as they were beating him. Still spoke to them of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him had begun to weep. He awoke in his bed, his own bed, several days later. The ones who had savagely, severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village had come to Christ. Wounds can speak powerfully, can't they? Can speak of sincerity. Can speak of love. And this is true of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one with the scars speaks to you and to me, saying, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you out. And I believe that Jesus' Jesus', uh, words here tell us not only that we must take up this concern of the Father for missions, but it also teaches us something about the way that we should go out. How did Christ come to us? He came as one of us, except for sin. He knew all of our weaknesses, all of our troubles. He came not to do His own will, but to do the Father's will. He came not in His own name, but in the Father's. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life. And we are called as well to be willing to lay down our lives for others, according to 1 John 3.16. Jesus Christ came as the light of the world, and we are to shine as the light of the world too. Matthew 5.14. He came to bear witness to the truth. That's your calling and mine. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came as the Father's love gift. He came and he suffered a great deal in order that we might know the truth and that we might be transformed by by the truth. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus Christ speaks those words to you and to me this morning. I told you at the beginning of the message about William Carey. Let me close by referring back to him. What can happen? What can happen if you and I listen to Christ's call, Christ's words today? What might happen for this church if we hear and heed those words? William Carey, he was just a village cobbler. 
as I mentioned. He was just a shoe repairman, very poor, was scarcely able to feed his family, large family. He didn't have really any formal education. He was self-taught, didn't have any seminary training. I wonder whether he would be a good candidate uh, for missionary work, whether, uh, whether the missions committee would seriously consider such a one for foreign service. Uh, maybe not. But one thing distinguished William Carey was his heart for God, his passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, his passion for the lost, his determination to be obedient to God's word. He was determined to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Here's the end of the story. By the close of William Carey's nearly 40-year missionary career, he had translated the whole or part of the scripture into 35 different Indian languages. 35 different languages. He worked tirelessly as well to end that horrible Hindu practice of burning widows and their husbands' funeral pyres. He was concerned not only for the truth, for getting the gospel out, but also for living the truth, living out the gospel, showing compassion to those who are in need. What kept Kerry going for 40 years? What kept him working away? in the midst of a great deal of disappointment and trouble and threats of death, what kept him going? Knowing that the missionary God had sent him. What kept him going was hearing the one with the scars say, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, convince us, convict us, move us by your Holy Spirit that we may follow Jesus Christ. Lord, we may claim to be many things in this world, but our, our greatest need, our highest aspiration is simply to be a follower of Jesus in faith and obedience. Give us grace. Give us grace to follow the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.